Hello, friends. So good to be joined with you from our different locations in this Advent season. And the high point of our gathering together today is again communion. And our study today is really going to lead us to this table. Because we're continuing our teaching series in which we're looking at some of the implications and wonders of Jesus' arrival on earth as he brought his light into our own and this world's darkness. Now, if you haven't been able to join in uh, for those teachings in previous weeks, you can watch or listen to them on our website if that would be of help to you. And we're going to start in the book of Psalms, where in Psalm 46, it gives us a timely encouragement from God himself. And it is really timely, both for the days we're walking in and this season. And this is what we read in Psalm 46. And as you hear it, remember, this is a word of God. And in verse 10, rather, verse 10, the Lord says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. So you do think or feel that you know God? You know, here's a question that might help you answer that question. What image or picture comes to mind for you when you hear the name God? I mean, is it kind of a, a misty spirit among the stars and planets? Or is it a gray bearded giant hovering over creation? Perhaps you picture God as Zeus or emptiness, a judge, a ruler. So what image comes to mind for you? Can you just keep that picture in mind and hold on to it? Because today I'd like to see if our pictures of God line up with how Scripture describes God. And to do that, I want to turn to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to go through this passage fairly quickly today. And it is the Christmas story, so it's quite fitting, obviously, for this season. And then we're going to focus in on one particular question coming out of this passage. So Luke chapter 2, and then we're going to look at one question together. And I know Luke 2 is a familiar passage for many of us, but let's try to hear it again for the first time. And again, here's the context for Luke 2. Joseph is required to go to Bethlehem for a census, and so he takes his fiancée Mary, his pregnant fiancée, with him. And this is what we read then in these beautifully familiar words. Luke 2, verse 6. And while they, meaning Mary and Joseph, were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So we try to picture night had falling, probably not much happening, people in their homes, and it likely was a silent night. Kind of symbolic of what it had been like with God for 400 years. Because in our Bibles, the break really between the Old Testament and New Testament is just a page or two, really. But that page represented in history is actually about 400 years or so. It's called the intertestamental period, or some refer to it as the silent period. Because it was a period where, as far as we know, 
God was silent with his people. And so the Jews during this silent period were becoming increasingly frustrated, often despondent, despondent in some ways, because for these four centuries, they were conquered and reconquered, oppressed and polluted then by pagan cultures and religions. So they were always under the thumb and control of some outside kingdom or empire. And they were convinced that now the only thing that could save them in their faith was the coming of the deliverer, the Messiah, the anointed one. And so they waited for 400 years of silence from God. But then after 400 years of waiting, this, Luke 2, 8, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. So, shepherds. I mean, you likely already have an image in mind of what they look like, right? I mean, because you've seen them in your nativity scenes. They are nice, clean-cut, pastoral kind of guys, and they sang a lot, apparently. So, is that the image of shepherds that we get from Scripture? Is it accurate, really? I mean, who were these guys? What do we know about these shepherds? Luke 2 says that they were living out in fields nearby. So it was really kind of a group of guys camping at a work site. And really, I think a modern comparison somewhat would be this paraphrase for Alberta. And there were roughnecks living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their oil rigs at night. That seems to be about the right kind of picture we should have of this. And into this work site, an angel from God shows up. And the glory of the Lord, it says, shone around the shepherds. There was some kind of actual manifestation of the glory of God. And it says that the shepherds were terrified. So we read this in verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, not just the Jews. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So what did the shepherds do with that message? Verse 16, and they went with haste. To put it another way, they set off running, likely, back into Bethlehem, over the fields, over the hills, pathways, different ages, laughing, gasping. Verse 16, and they found Mary and Joseph. And then the baby lying in a manger. You know, we try to imagine it, right? I mean, what a sight. I mean, just think of it, centuries of waiting, centuries of longing for the Messiah. And you are the first to see him in what was likely a rotten, stinking sheep cave into our mess, ending the silence from God. And then verse 17, and when the shepherds saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And what had been told to them about this child? Well, the angels had told them back in verse 11, a savior has been born to you and he is Christ, meaning he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Lord. And then verse 18, we read this, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They wondered at it. 
So the first evangelists of the good news of Jesus, once he arrived, were shepherds. And the people wondered, they were amazed at what these shepherds were saying. I mean, the Messiah? Into this mess, really. Onto our doorstep, right here. And again, all of it proclaimed by shepherds. Okay, so let's pause here then. Having a look, that look at Luke chapter 2. Because here's the question that I really want us to reflect on. So why shepherds? Why did these angels only appear to shepherds? Why did the shepherds get in on so big on this story? Or if these angels did tell others about Jesus' birth that night, which they might have, we just aren't told. But if the angels did tell others... Why did Luke only tell us about the shepherds that night? What was it with these shepherds? I mean, we might say, well, because shepherds are in our nativity scenes. But were they the only ones available that night? I mean, there must be some reason why it was these shepherds that the angels told. And some reason that Luke, again, led by the Holy Spirit, emphasized this reality. So that's really what I want us to consider today. Really, three of the reasons why God seemed to choose these shepherds. Because it was more than just a coincidence that these shepherds were the ones the angels told. There was something bigger going on here. So again, here's our question. So why shepherds? Well, another question. Anyone know an actual shepherd? I mean, there are shepherds in our day, but they can really look quite different from those in Jesus' day here. So very likely, the picture that you and I have of a shepherd is not what they were like in that day. For one, among all the different occupations that day, shepherding was one of very low status. I mean, shepherds were largely considered to be untrustworthy, and their work made them ceremonially unclean, according to Jewish laws. So one of the clearest implications of why the angels went to shepherds was that the good news of Jesus came first to the social outcasts of Jesus' day. Why shepherds? A first reason? It's hard not to see that in part it was because Jesus came for ordinary, messy people. Not merely kings or rulers, religious leaders, or economic success stories, although he came for them too. I mean, the fact that shepherds were the first ones invited to Jesus, that really was another symbolic declaration that what this infant Jesus was bringing in contrast to the kingdoms of the Greeks or the Syrians or the Romans, was a kingdom established first among the broken, the lost, the outcast, the least. So you don't have to get fixed up. You don't have to get your life together in order to come to this Jesus. No, we come to him because we can't get our lives together on our own. Because we deeply need transformation by his power. So that's 
one of the reasons why it was shepherds. And there seems to be a second reason why shepherds were chosen to be the ones with this message. And we ask this, okay, what town were these shepherds by? Well, it tells us Bethlehem, right? Which was also called the city of David. And who was David? King of Israel. He was a man that scripture says had a heart after God. And at times also, he was a guy who made terrible choices. And he was also a songwriter and also a shepherd. And what is perhaps the most endearing portrait that David gave us of God? What would it be? What psalm do you know best? The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23. But it's so important to realize that this picture of God that David portrayed of God as a shepherd, it wasn't just David's idea. In fact, this image of a shepherd is a picture given by God to us of who he is. So that generation after generation, prophet after prophet, really throughout the Hebrew scriptures, God prompted the writers and editors of scripture to repeatedly give us this same image and metaphor of who our God is. That's why in Genesis 48, this elderly Jacob goes to bless his son, to bless his son Joseph. And so therefore his prayer was, may the God who has been my shepherd all my life, to this very day, may he bless you, my son. And then every prophet that God sent to his people emphasized this picture of God. So for example, I want you to hear these, not just take my word for it. We go to the writings of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10. Isaiah said, behold, the Lord God comes with might. Again, what is your picture of God? I mean, he is, he's a God of might and power. But also, verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. Okay, so what did the prophet Jeremiah say about our God? This is in Jeremiah 31.10. The Lord will keep his people as a shepherd keeps his flock. Or we go to the writings of Ezekiel. This is Ezekiel 34.11. The Lord declares, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock. I mean, we could just keep going on to the writings of Amos and Micah and Zechariah. I mean, prophet after prophet, inspired by God to proclaim, be still and know this of God. He is your shepherd. And then when this baby in the manger grew up, how did he, how did Jesus describe himself? We think of the words of John 10, 11, where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And then the reality is that life often beats us up. I mean, this clearly doesn't always mean that God spares us from hard, painful things in life. So we ask, so how is Jesus our shepherd? What is he promising saying by using that title? Well, he goes on to say this in verse 15 of John 10. Jesus said, I 
lay down my life for the sheep. That's ultimately what being a shepherd is with Jesus. And that's why the New Testament also shouts that Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. Okay, now I would guess you might be hearing this and thinking, Clyde, appreciate it. I already know that Jesus is called the good shepherd. Okay, but honestly, is a first image of God for you a shepherd? Is it for you? Because the Lord is my shepherd. And I know, and I believe, that every one of us would like a shepherd. Because I think our longing for a shepherd is really an echo of our longing for God. For our longing to be loved. For our longing to be protected. For our longing to be shaped and formed. Our longing to be secure. Our longing to be wanted. And really, I don't care how grown up we get and how good we look at the, on the outside, inside, we still want a shepherd. Someone who cares for and guides us. But here's our problem. I mean, we want all that stuff, but we don't want all of God's interference in our freedom to do what we want to do. We don't want God's claim on our obedience where it really messes with our desires or impulses. We don't want God's authority over our lives in the areas where we want to really rebel against him or ignore his guidance. So I want to have a shepherd, except for the part of me who doesn't want a shepherd, which is kind of an echo of a prayer expressed by the early church father, Augustine, where he very honestly expressed, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet, because I want to be the chief shepherd of my life. So our real problem is that we all want to be our own little chief shepherd. So really the only solution in this is to try to stop being your own Messiah, to stop thinking that you are the chief shepherd. You know, one author tells us about a children's rehearsal for a play at church, and he writes this. Years ago, I had a friend who taught a Sunday school class for six-year-old kids. One Sunday, they were reenacting the story of creation. So my friend told one of the kids named Jonathan that his role was to be God. So Jonathan's job was to climb up on a ladder and shine a flashlight down and at the very right time say, let there be light. So Jonathan did that at the start of practice. Okay, but then he and all the other kids start getting squirrely, excited, running around. And the other class teacher named Mrs. Berg was trying to corral them all. When Mrs. Berg felt a tugging at her skirt, she turned around and it was Jonathan breathing hard from running around. And he looked up to her and said, Mrs. Berg, could you please get somebody else? I'm just feeling too crazy to be God today. And I think that would be a great prayer to start the day with, don't you? I'm just feeling too crazy to be God today. So look around the room that you're in or consider who you walk by each day of the week. 
Every one of us, I want to be chief shepherds in recovery. So why be still and know that he is God? For one, because Jesus is your chief shepherd. He longs to be your shepherd. So really a first step in this is to acknowledge to yourself, I am not the chief shepherd. I am not the chief shepherd. Okay, then third and finally. So why shepherds? Well, there's a third reason why these shepherds were likely chosen. And historians found that this third reason, really oddly enough, is out of the Jewish Mishnah. And the Mishnah, if you know, it's a collection of ancient Jewish documents, really a recording of the oral teachings and the rabbinic applications of these Jewish laws and principles that governed the lives of the Jewish people during the time of the Pharisees, which was also the time of Jesus. So the Mishnah really gives us great insight into how Jewish people lived during the time of Jesus. And one of the regulations or laws in the Mishnah forbids flocks, like a flock of sheep, being kept anywhere near cities or towns. The only area where Jewish shepherds could shepherd their sheep was out in the wilderness areas. Okay, but Luke 2 says that these shepherds were out in the fields of Bethlehem. And that's because there was one exception to that law that is expressed in the Mishnah. The only flocks that could be kept near or within the cities, like Bethlehem, were those sheep that were set aside to be used in the temple services at the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, so what? Well, Jerusalem and Bethlehem and their surrounding fields, they were not in the wilderness where really ordinary flocks of sheep were kept. And therefore, according to the Jewish regulations in the Mishnah, the flocks then under the care of the shepherds near Bethlehem were for the temple services. Therefore, these shepherds in Luke 2, they watched over sheep that were destined to be sacrificed at the temple in Jerusalem. So consider this when we read about the angels and what they told these shepherds. They said this to the shepherds, Luke 2, 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. This will be a sign for you. Now that word sign, it means Okay, shepherds, this is going to be a clue. This is going to be the miracle. This is going to tell you something. This is going to declare something. The fact that this newborn will be wrapped in swaddling cloths. So you ever wonder, okay, why would that, being wrapped in swaddling cloths, why would that be any kind of sign for these shepherds? A sign of what? A clue of what? I mean... What does swaddling claws declare to shepherds who are watching over sheep destined for temple sacrifice? Well, these ancient Jewish writings also tell us 
that the sheep used for temple sacrifice, they had to be really without defect, spotless, no blemishes. So that when any one of the lambs was born to these flock of sheep, it would be inspected by a priest from the temple to see if it had any defects, any faults. And if a lamb was determined to be spotless, unblemished, the priest would then wrap or swaddle that lamb in old priestly clothes to declare this lamb is perfect. This lamb is being set aside. This lamb will be sacrificed. So when these shepherds walked in to where Jesus lay, they knew what swaddling cloths declared. They knew what it meant. They knew what the sign declared to them. I mean, these shepherds didn't realize it when they first heard the angel's message, but they were being invited to leave behind their many sheep that were destined for sacrifice and to go see the final lamb who would be slain, the newborn who would be the final sacrifice. And does that not then help us explain why the shepherds responded as they did when they returned from seeing Jesus? I love how the message translation puts it. This is how it's expressed in Luke 2.20. The shepherds returned and let loose, glorifying and praising God for everything they had heard and seen. You know, friends, we began with the words from Psalm 46. So let me close with them as well. And let me really personalize that psalm a bit. So if you would, even if you would, right where you are, just close your eyes and listen to these words to you from Psalm 46. From verse 1, God is your refuge and strength, a very present help in your trouble. Therefore, you will not fear. Therefore, you will not fear. And then God the Father says in verse 10, so be still and know that I am God. The Lord of hosts is with you. And that God, this Jesus, longs to be your shepherd. And therefore, because of his sacrifice, because of the depths of his love, we come, we run to this table. At Jesus' invitation that would come many years later before he went to the cross, and we with followers of Jesus around the globe break bread, asking that you, God our Father, would nourish us in our gathering places as we eat this bread and drink this cup. And so, friends, I would ask, would you take whatever the expression of bread is that's with you there, and would you hold it for a moment, Consider what we've heard and rest and receive the declaration. The body of Christ was broken for you. Take and eat. And then will you take your cup? Consider the wonder of what God was up to in that town of Bethlehem 
And we come and we hold the cup before us, wanting to remember what he's done, but also receive from him, receive from the spirit of Christ, our great shepherd, because the blood of Christ was poured out for you. We take and drink. And would you pray with me? Our Father, the expression of your love, the wonder of the extent to which you went because of your love for us, we drink that in in this season and pray, Father, we would continue to know us, know you. And I pray, Father, you would cause our hearts to be still before you, even now. And as we walk through this week and continue in the season, draw us to you, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So good to be with you, friends. And if I can give you an encouragement towards Christmas coming up, a couple of the things for that. We have our Christmas Eve services, and there are four to choose from that we're holding on site here. And when those are filled, we'll be adding more. And we're also going to be providing our normal kind of online liturgy that you can join in and receive on Christmas Eve. But then... On that following weekend, on Christmas and Boxing Day weekend for Saturday and Sunday, we're calling that weekend home for Christmas. So we're not going to be meeting on site for our worship services on that Christmas Day and Boxing Day. We're going to be providing an online liturgy for you to use at home on Christmas Day and Boxing Day as part of your at-home Christmas celebration. And if you want more information on this, please go to our website or call our church office if we can be of help. And as you walk into whatever, whatever this week holds for you, now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and lift his countenance on you this week and give you his incredible peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs>